this evening. For his help, God, once again, I pray for your help as I open your word. Give us ears to hear, hearts understanding of your word, pliable to change. Let this be an encouragement uh, for us, Lord. Let us leave this place, people uh, prepared by your grace and by your power for this upcoming week, whatever it may bring, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been navigating through First Peter. Uh, We have gone through the introduction, verse 1 and 2, and then salvation explained and salvation tested, verse 3 through verse 12. And this evening we'll look at salvation and its implications, um, and specifically the implications of individual holiness. And we see that in verse 13 through verse 16. And as you see, at the end of chapter 9 is where we left off. And then we have verse, or chapter 9, verse 9. And then you have verse 10, 11, and 12, and then verse 13. So there's a bit of a transition in there uh, of a few verses uh, that I'm just going to summarize for us. But let's read them, uh, explain it a little bit, and then we'll get right into uh, the therefore in verse 13. Verse 10 uh, As to this salvation, what salvation? Well, the salvation that was explained, that Peter explained to us, that we have dug in and and looked to see what uh, Peter had to say in our studies over the past weeks and months. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So as we just summarize this, the Old Testament prophets prophesied looking ahead for their fulfillment. They knew the Messiah would come, But they did not know who he would be specifically, and they did not know when specifically either. Consider what it must have been like in the times of the Lord Jesus uh, walking on earth. As people were waiting for a Messiah, for what may have seemed like forever, right? A long time. And one day he shows up. And when Jesus began to teach, some who were looking for the Messiah believed. Well, we know others did not. Now consider 2022, approximately 2,000 years later, as we anticipate and look for the return of the Lord, we wait for Him, we long for His return, and one day He will show up, He will come back in glory. In the meantime, we have the Word of God, and this is something that Peter reminds us of here in these few verses, in these two verses. So before Peter expounds on prepare your minds for action, he reminds us of several important truths about the Word of God. So as we just summarize these few verses there, 10, 11, and 12, we're reminded that redemption is the theme or one of the main themes of Scripture concerning this salvation, he says. Secondly, those who prophesied were prophets chosen and set apart by God. Their message was about God's grace. 
The Spirit of Christ was with the prophets as they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Old Testament prophets longed to see the fulfillment of what they prophesied. It was revealed to them that it was for others. What others? Well, on the other side of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The gospel is announced to Peter's audience by the Holy Spirit through the gospel preached. And that's how it is for us today. Let me read this from uh, uh, theologian Doriani. He says this, So then the prophets foretold this salvation. They foretold it, Jesus accomplished it, and the Spirit led Peter and the apostles to describe it. The pattern is prediction of salvation, the fulfillment of salvation, and the interpretation of saving events. Like all the rest of Scripture, Peter's letter provides moral guidance, but it isn't essentially a moral guide. Scripture contains a great many things, but in essence, it describes our creation in God's image, our rebellion and its catastrophic consequence, and then God's plan for restoration announced by the prophets and accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Before Him we must repent, and in Him we must believe. Every other theme is secondary. So Peter's audience and others after them share an incredible blessing, and we do as well, of living in a time where the prophet's predictions have come to pass. The Messiah has come. And my voice just got elevated as I said that, uh, as we are trying a new mic this evening, so bear with us. Anything can happen with this this evening. So thought you didn't notice, now you notice. We benefit uh, with the complete canon of Scripture. I mean, we have it. We have God speaking to us through the, the canon of the Word of God, through the Word, the God-breathed Word. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'll just remind us, you don't need to turn there. It's Matthew 13 and 16 and 17. He says, But blessed are are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So we are a very privileged people as we consider down the time of history. Here we are, the Word of God, um, in our own language. And this is also, as Peter says, Uh, something that angels long to look at. They long to see these things. They reflect with delight. Now, angels are not beneficiaries of redemption, but they look on it with anticipation. Tom Schreiner says, Old Testament prophets saw it from afar, and angels also marvel when gazing upon what God has done in Christ, while Peter's audience actually experience it. And we likewise as well. So verse 1 through 12 is to rejoice and celebrate what God has done, what he has promised, and the inheritance that awaits, just as we looked at this morning. So what we have next is common to what we find in the New Testament. We see it in Romans, we see it in Ephesians, and we see it here in Peter, the indicatives and the imperatives, a doctrine and then therefore what we must do. Indicatives, then imperatives, or doctrine, then duty, a theological truth, and then shoe leather theology. How do I walk this out? What do I do? 
the wise and then the dudes. Uh, what is written and then how shall we then respond and live? So we see this, therefore, in verse 13. And then we have three imperatives. Now, it looks like, as we read here, there's more than uh, three in, uh, imperatives, which are commands, but there's really not, and we'll see that as we go into it. But three imperatives. Fix your hope, be holy, verse 15, and conduct yourselves in fear. And that's verse 17, and we'll, we won't see that this evening. So conversion, as we know, is the start, right? It's not the end. That's just where we're the starting line for us as Christians. We're converted, and then we run the race. <clears throat> the new birth, which is evidenced by repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And the ongoing evidence is the, uh, the continual transformation of one's life as we're continued to be transformed by God's grace in, in our lives in sanctification. So since verse uh, 1 through 12 is true of you, Christian, the question is, what then must we do? Well, Peter tells us, beginning in verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see, prepare your minds for action, keep sober, fix your hope. The imperative here is fix your hope completely. That's the... The command. That's the imperative, and keeps over and prepare are actually participles. So we could couch it like this. We could say it like this prepare, keep sober, hope. Um, rather, in other words, fix your hope completely on grace by preparing your minds and keeping sober in spirit. Again, fix your hope completely on grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. How do we do that? By preparing our minds and keeping sober in spirit. The participles are subordinate to the main verb. <clears throat> Peter is uh, reminding his readers to fix their hope on the same hope he expressed on verse 3 through 9. And we studied that out, and we won't cover it again. This hope completely, not in part, but completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a hope with a future focus. We have hope now. We have hope in Christ today. right? We had hope this morning, our hope's in Christ. We have hope this evening when we put our head on our pillow. We, we hope in Christ. We'll wake up tomorrow morning, we hope in Christ. But we have a future hope, this future focus. A hope we look to. We don't have a pie-in-the-sky type of a hope or cross our fingers and maybe it'll work out. No, we have a sure hope based on God's word, which is true. The grace to be brought to us is the completion of our sanctification. And first, John 3 speaks on this as well. 1 through 3, I'll just read it. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Now that phrase... Children of God, that title is reserved for those who know Christ, those who are Christians, children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him 
just as he is. And what a day that will be. But in the meantime, the whole section here that Peter gives us is sandwiched. Verse 13 and verse 21 speak of this hope that we have. And the content in the middle of that is sandwiched by this hope. So how do we have this hope that Peter speaks about? Uh, How are we to do this? How do we set our hope completely on this grace? Well, we prepare our minds for action, first off. More literally, it means to gird up the loins of your mind. Meaning, tuck away your flowing garments so that you may run, work, or fight. Prepare for vigorous activity. Girding your minds, it it takes effort. Reform your thinking with vigor, with effort. Gather up your thoughts. Be diligent to channel our thoughts back to what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good repute. If there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We're so prone to dwell on other things, temporal things, or the things of how this world is going and spiraling downward. But the Word of God tells us to put our focus elsewhere. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, says Paul in Romans. John Owen says, spiritual mindedness cannot flourish and grow if the heart is immersed in the evil swamps of worldliness. And Proverbs tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. The minds, our minds and hearts are so closely woven together. And what God has woven so closely together, let no man separate. So it's just as a way of application when we think of our minds and we think of uh, the, the, the minds that God has given us and to prepare our minds for action. We have been so trained, at least in the last five years, I would say, to scroll rather than to contemplate heavy things. We can scroll things. When I say scroll, you know what I mean. On the phone or on the computer. And we can just scroll, scroll, scroll. And it's just it can be a mindless ritual to where it, we continue to do that and our capacity to think is hindered. And to think um, of weighty things and to think with vigor and effort. So we are to be careful of that. Careful that we don't veg out in our minds. We don't want to become slow to think, and when we are, we must uh, change that way and go back to God's Word and think of the things of Christ. So not only are we to prepare our minds for action, we are also to keep sober in spirit. So fixing our hope on Christ, on on this grace uh, to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, keep sober in spirit, self-controlled, steady, not drunk on the things of this world. Peter's point is not only from refraining from being intoxicated with strong drink, but it goes much further. We all know there are many objects in this world that draw the attention of our affections. We could list them off. If I said, okay, we've got 10 minutes, go. We list them off. Or if I said, here's some homework for next week. 
keep a journal with you, list off the things that in this world that take your affections, take your affections away from Christ and really put it on something else uh, that, that is really meaningless and wonder what kind of list we would come up with. Devices, uh, distractions and disasters. These uh, await the ones who is not sober in spirit. Tom Schreiner, again, he says, there is a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God that is anesthetized by the attractions of this world. When people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. And this can so easily happen to any one of us. Therefore, we must keep sober in spirit, and we must prepare our minds for action. Self-control is only possible by having our hearts changed, first and foremost, and then continually uh, pliable to God's Word, and our minds continually transformed by the Word of God, keeping sober in spirit. And then, uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So as obedient children, this is Peter says, this is who you are. Obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So we were once children of disobedience, now children of obedience. We understand we're not always obedient children, uh, but this is how we are described. We were children of wrath, now we're children of God. We were unholy, now we have been made holy and set apart. When Peter says, do not be conformed to the former lusts, this is the same vernacular, vernacular that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12. I'll read it for us in 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, ongoing transformation by the renewing, this ongoing renewal of your mind, so that you may do what? You may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. <clears throat> so Paul, Peter and Paul are on the same, uh, same train of thought here. <clears throat> so as we, were, as we turn away from former sin, and as we turn away from former habits that lead to sin, turning away from old former desire... If we turn to something, we turn to Christ and we turn to the things of the Lord, the, the put off and put on. If we consider that um, it's like a life sentence that someone has, and maybe we've seen a documentary sometimes, someone has a life sentence and they get pardoned from this life sentence for whatever reason. And they walk out of that prison and those big gates shut and the guard is standing there in the tower watching with his rifle in hand. And the person just walks free. They're free. Uh, they've been declared that they don't have to serve their sentence anymore. And then the person gets out and walks free for a little while. And then says, no way, I went back in. And goes banging on the door and says, let me back into this prison that I used to live in. That's how it is when we turn back to our old manner of ways, our old, our old life. We were set free by the blood of Christ. We were set free from the prison of our sins. And as we turn back and we say, I want back in, I want my former way, it's, it's almost as if we were going back to uh, this life sentence that we had before. We have been pardoned and we have been redeemed. 
Let us stay far away from that and continue in our walk with the Lord by his grace and his strength. So he says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance in a time when we did not understand the things of the Lord, in a time when we didn't understand how do we follow Christ. But, and here's a strong contrast, we have a, a but, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. So again, remember, when we think of this verse, when we're called to uh, to be holy, be holy yourselves. And this is imperative, this is a command. We remember that this is couched in what Peter says of who God is and what are, how weighty these things are of our salvation. And since all of this is true, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Not in some, but of all. Why? Why do we uh, want to be holy in all of our behavior? Why would we want to turn away from sin and turn to the Lord Scripture tells us, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And this is what the Lord says, going back to Leviticus 19, verse 2, and Leviticus 20, verse 26. So what Peter is telling us here is, for the believer, holiness is not an option. It's not optional. We are set apart for God's use, and we are also to be holy and, and cultivate holiness in our lives. A holy life will look different from the life of the one who is living in the world. The reason for personal holiness, again, is because it is written. You shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And Peter says more of this, remember? In chapter 2, verse 9, which we're reminded of once again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Of course, we have the barriers to holiness. We have the world. We have the devil. And we have our own indwelling sin, the flesh. And as we know, grace never leaves a man where he finds him, where it finds him. Thank, praise God for that. Grace always transforms a sinful man, a sinful woman, into a holy man or a holy woman. God is holy. He makes us holy. And holiness is is in the life of the Christian, and it's something that must be cultivated. We understand to be holy is to be set apart to the Lord. And it's also to separate ourselves from sin. J.C. Ryle had a lot to say on holiness. He wrote a book on it. Bishop Ryle, I recommend you read that at some point and reread it. Uh, he says this, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in the Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates and loving what he loves, measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. We have a standard. We have a uh, a plumb line, we have the word of God to which we uh, can measure, which we are to measure things. If we desire holiness, we will strive to be like our Lord Jesus, uh, walking in love and clothed with Christ's humility. We will seek to be filled with the Spirit and ooze the fruit of the Spirit that we read in, in Galatians and we read in Ephesians. 
We will, if we desire holiness, we will be disciplined in our walks and in our bodies. There will be times when we'll have to deny stuff. It could be that extra cookie even. It could be whatever it may be. It could be denying something that used to trip us up and, and trap us and, and weigh us down. We are, if we are to be holy, we are to mortify the flesh, practice the putting off and putting ons. We will be one who fears God. And setting our affections on Christ, knowing our time here is short. And as I could say, as I, I get older, I mean, there's plenty of people here older than me, but I say that in jest. And, um, but as I get older, it seems time really does fly by quicker. And I remember people saying that to me when I was a kid. And they're like, oh, wait till you get older. Time just flies by. And it, it seems that way. Uh, and time here is short. So we are to hold, to hold on to the things of this world very loosely. Ariel again says, A holy man will follow after purity of heart. Uh, he will dread filthiness and uncleanness of spirit and seek to avoid all things that might draw him into it. <clears throat> he knows his own heart is like, is like tinder and will diligently keep clear of the sparks of temptation, says Ryle. And finally, as we consider what Peter says here, preparing your mind for actions, for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And we remember that a life that is actively dependent on Christ and his power, if we do not have that, we will have no holiness. We must depend on Christ and his power in order to walk worthy of the calling for which we have been called. I'm going to pray for us, and our brother is going to lead us in a final hymn for this evening. Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what we were able to learn this morning. We thank you for uh, the fellowship we had with one another. We thank you for visitors and friends and, and family who could be here with us. God, we pray for those who could not be here with us today for whatever reason, Lord, that um, they would be looking to you this day. And they would be relying on you, Lord. God, as we consider uh, the earlier sermon today, as you cause us to persevere and you protect us, and no one will snatch us out of your hand, and no one will snatch us out of the Father's hand. And you have given us eternal life, and we will not perish. What a promise from you, O Lord. We have been saved from so much, and we have been saved from your holy wrath. You're so kind to us, and you love us so much, Lord. And as we're reminded here uh, that you have told us in your word how we are to walk and how we are to live, and we are to be holy and set apart from the world. We're to be in this world, and we're to love uh, the lost people in this world and family and friends that are lost, Lord. And we're to engage the culture, God, and help us to do so. We can't walk in any way that's worthy, Lord, without your strength. We need you. 
Lord. This is no pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We must be on our knees before you, O Lord, pleading with you to help us, God. And we do so even now. And Lord, whatever we may face this week, let us be reminded of your word today. And let us be immersed in your word this week. Protect us, we pray, as we go about our ways tonight and this week, God, and um, that we would be seeking to have fellowship with one another throughout the week, Lord, and that we would be uh, looking for your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.